funny, I don't know if you've heard this phrase recently, but it seems like this has come up more and more over the last four or five years in the news and in advocacy groups. And that phrase is this, that we want to be on the right side of history. The people want to be on the right side of history. And it's almost as though the people who are pushing that phrase out there presuppose that the views on one side of, the, of a debate are the correct views. And, uh, and that advocating that view will be vindicated and proved to be correct when historians look back and say this was the right move. But in the moment, the question becomes, how do we know what is right? How do we know what is true? How do we know whether, whether history really has a right or a wrong side? And in order to answer these questions and other related questions, I think we need wisdom. There are some who would say that all of Scripture is wisdom, and I don't disagree with that. I think Scripture is replete with wise sayings, with wise counsel, with information from God, but it is more than just a reference manual. It's more than just suggestions. This is the revelation of God. It is the specific revelation that God has chosen to put in written form so that we might look at it. It is His revealed Word. And if we were to look at a chart of books, you could see uh, books of the Bible, you would see various categories. You would see things like the law. You would see things like history. You would see things like the prophets. And some categorizations would include things like wisdom literature or poetry. And in those books, that wisdom component in Scripture are things like the book of Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Job, maybe even the Song of Solomon. Of course, all of those are lumped together with the book of Psalms as poetic books. And they, they sort of take a completely different approach than the, than the prose or the narrative of the historical books, than the preaching style of, of, the, um, of the prophets and the, and the letters the, of the epistles, the doctrine that the epistles so clearly teach. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're going to consider a few passages in the book of Proverbs as we seek to pursue wisdom in a wacky world. And I had initially intended on taking 10 to 15 weeks to look at a whole variety of topics from the book of Proverbs. Um, but I said, we're just going to take three weeks to look at it, then we'll do something else. But this will hopefully be a foundation that we can build on next time we come back to uh, the book of Proverbs. Now, a couple of weeks ago, Carolyn and Jordan and I, we meet every few weeks to kind of choose some songs and, and uh, choose scriptures that we then send to Dan, and Dan organizes that make it, makes it all cohesive. And, and while we were preparing for today, Jordan noted, she said that she heard someone talk about the fact that the wisdom literature is really, seems to be divided up into three different categories. And she said that they, this, the person that she was quoting said that, noted that Proverbs seems to be for the young, implying that Proverbs seems to be like low-hanging fruit. It's that thing that we can easily grasp. It's that thing that we can say, mm, yeah, that's the truth. Let me try to live by that. It's these small little nuggets of wisdom. And it's designed to help, young, help the young navigate the, the tumultuous waters of independence. And then you get to a book like Ecclesiastes. And the person she quoted said that Ecclesiastes is kind of like the book for the middle-aged cynic. 
someone who's lived just long enough to know that not everything is, is rainbows and fairy tales. They've lived long enough to know that life without God is, is a life of despair, that life is painful, that it sometimes seems meaningless. And then we get to a book like Job. And the person she quoted noted that Job seems to be wisdom from the aged. Wisdom from someone who's lived a long life of faithful service to the Lord, long enough to know that, yeah, life is hard and suffering is painful, but God is still sovereign over it all. And it's as though the the cynicism of middle age is not marred by a life of faithfulness. God is still in control. And God will still accomplish his will in the universe and in the lives of his people. So as we pursue wisdom, on one hand, we could pursue wisdom from all of these books and we could look at it in all these places, but we kind of got to pick one place to be. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be in the book of Proverbs and I think that, you know, the, the Proverbs may not be the full embodiment of all wisdom, but I do think it provides some helpful thoughts and observations as we navigate the world in which we live. Now, all of, all of this kind of introductory stuff really begs the question, what is wisdom? What is wisdom? Jim Neuheiser, in, what, in his commentary, defined wisdom as skill or the ability to do a job. And I thought, ooh. Okay, so wisdom is knowing something but being able to do something about it. Another theologian, Roy Zuck, defines wisdom as uh, the means of being skillful and successful in one's relationships and responsibilities, observing and following the creator's principles of order in the moral universe. In other words, wisdom is knowledge that is applied to life in a way that leads to flourishing for the person who is making those choices and for the people who are, who, who are the byproducts or who are the collateral damage or the recipients of some sort of blessing from those wise choices. And so over the next couple of weeks, we're really only going to scratch the surface. And today, as we look at these seven verses, I think what these, what these seven verses do is they cause us to ask and, and then get the answers to four very specific questions. So if you want to uh, take notes, I, I apologize that we didn't have an outline. This wasn't done in time to do that. And, and Renetta had a uh, really challenging week this week. Um, but mostly this is on me. I didn't have it out in time to, uh, to get that to you. So if you want to take notes, here are the four points, four questions that we're going to ask and answer. One is, who should pursue wisdom? The second, why should we pursue wisdom? The third is, how do the Proverbs communicate this wisdom? And ultimately getting to what is the source of wisdom? Who should pursue wisdom? Why should we pursue wisdom? How do the Proverbs communicate this wisdom? And what is the source of wisdom? So let's consider with that that first question, who should pursue wisdom? And in some way, we could look at this and we could simply say, well, everybody should pursue wisdom. But, but what is Solomon specifically saying here? If you look in your Bibles in verses 4 and 5, as he lays out, as he introduces, he sort of creates this preamble for the entire book of Proverbs. He lays out some information. He says this is, in verse 4, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance. 
And so it seems like in these two verses, Solomon seems to point out three different groups of people that need to pursue wisdom. And I think these three groups of people really would encompass all of us. The first one is the simple. You know, it's believed that Solomon wrote these Proverbs down in order to be something that he could pass along to his children. We don't know all of his children's names. And because of the kind of guy he was, I'm sure Solomon had tons and tons and tons of children. But the whole point is that he wanted to pass along information to his children. He wanted to pass along information to his son. Maybe it was Rehoboam, the guy who would be king after him in order to give him some information, in order to give him some things that he could grasp onto. And, and, and really, in many ways, the Proverbs are, are pretty common among, all, among the various types of literature in that area. People wanted to collect words of wisdom. And so this, the, the, you know, the first person that, that, or first group of people that Solomon says should pursue wisdom are the simple, those who, who don't know, those who are young, those who are maybe a bit naive. And I don't know about you, but I often find myself in that age group, in that, not age group, but in that group, a bit simple-minded, a bit naive, all too gullible, far too easily drawn into things. And so I need, as a simple guy, to learn wisdom. But he has a second group, and he says it's for the young. And it seems that Solomon and the other authors in this book are intentionally trying to impart knowledge and discretion to those who are coming behind them, to those who are part of the next generation. And for those of you who, who may feel like you're on the younger side of things, I know what it's like to have someone try to instruct you, and they say, oh, don't do this. Do it this way. Let me give you some insight and wisdom. And, and I got to tell you, as when I was a young person, I rejected the things that people ahead of me often told me to do. They would say, hey, do this. Joel, don't make that. Don't drive that way. Don't. Da, da, da. And I want to say, oh, come on. But I want to encourage you, if you're on the younger side of things, that person with a little more gray in their hair, that person with a few more wrinkles on their face, Earn those things for a reason. They're passing on wisdom to you. And that's, I think, one of the things that Solomon and the other writers of Proverbs are doing. They're taking information from the young, from the old, and passing it to the young so that they can have knowledge and discretion. And I, and I think for all of us, we, ha we have to recognize that there will almost always be someone older than us. There will almost always be someone older than us that we can learn from. But this passage, so it calls out the simple, it calls out the young, but it also calls out the wise. It calls out the wise. Those who have already learned so much, they can still learn more. They should still pursue wisdom. There are new ways that these pithy statements can be experienced and applied even in the twilight years of life. And throughout the book of Proverbs, there are encouragements and instructions for people in each of these categories, whether that person is a child or, or a parent, a husband or a wife, an employer or employee, leaders or followers, debtors, lenders. Proverbs has value, has, has wisdom for us in every stage of life. So let me ask that question again. Who should pursue wisdom? Solomon specifically says the simple, the young, and the wise, which would mean 
Just about everyone, right? But these verses also ask and answer a second question, and that is, why should we pursue wisdom? And really, we see that in in verses 2 through 6. And there's a sense in which wisdom becomes kind of a nebulous commodity. It can't be quantified, and yet there's value to it. It can't be added, it can't be counted, and yet attaining it adds up to a flourishing life. And here in, these, in the opening verses of this book, Solomon notes several reasons to pursue wisdom, several reasons to learn from those who have gone before. And so first of all, uh, the wisdom that these Proverbs evoke are intended to provide knowledge. Unlike trivial facts, the knowledge derived from wisdom has the connotation of revelation, making known things that have been previously unknown. And I think this is one of the places where Proverbs shines. There are so many practical tidbits regarding parenting, aging, finances, work ethics, and so much more that make pursuing wisdom through the Proverbs helpful. But in addition to providing knowledge, to gain knowledge, that's why we should pursue wisdom. We should also pursue wisdom in order to gain instruction or discipline. David Atkinson, in his commentary, notes that those words have this connotation of correction to them. It's the idea of, of, of like a course correction. We're headed in, a, in one way, and we need to get some discipline in order to get on the right track. We should pursue wisdom in order to correct the places in our lives where we might be out of step with what is wise and what is prudent. But we should also pursue wisdom in order to gain understanding. And this is so much more than uh, an acknowledgement of facts, but a comprehension of why those facts are the way they are. Why is it that money should be dealt with this way? Why is it that people should be addressed in a certain way? Why is it that, that... Why do certain things happen the way they do? For example, Dave Ramsey famously talks about running from debt like a gazelle runs from a hunter. And that quote, his quote comes directly from Proverbs 6, 1 to 5, which says, My child, if you have put up security for a friend's debt or agreed to guarantee the debt of a stranger, if you have trapped yourself by your agreement and are caught by what you said, follow my advice, save yourself, for you have placed yourself at your friend's mercy. Here he's talking about co-signing for a loan, which when we're young, we might want someone with a little more credit to help us, but what does that do for the person who has the credit? It binds them up. And so he continues, swallow your pride. Go and beg to have your name erased. Don't put it off now. Do it. Don't rest until you do. Save yourself like a gazelle escaping from a hunter, like a bird fleeing from a net. In other words, he's saying, run, get out of debt as quick as you can. Don't let that interest work against you. Don't let that weigh you down. Understanding comes when when we realize how debt and interest working against us can be crippling. And unfortunately, the debt in our culture is so easy to come by, and yet it's so difficult to shed. Having knowledge of the facts is one thing, but having an understanding of the ramifications is is another thing altogether. And so the Proverbs provide knowledge and discipline and understanding, but they also give us insights for living. And Solomon contends that wisdom is more than... um, more than simply gaining knowledge, wisdom results in living. And he qualifies this in three ways. In fact, if you look at uh, verse 3, 
to, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. First of all, right living, living uprightly or righteously or living with integrity, living the same way when you're by yourself as you are in public. Is that the same person? That is right living. So Solomon and, and the writers of Proverbs is in, are encouraging us, be people of integrity. Learning wisdom will, will cause us to be like that, will cause us to live rightly. But in addition to that, just living, living justly. The idea behind this principle is, is that just living is a life lived against a clear standard. It's not giving, the, giving benefits to one person over another, but making judgments based on fixed measurements. Imagine what it would be like. I know football season is just around the corner. The, the Washington football team or commanders, whatever they're called now, they're, they're, they're getting ready to go. Imagine if we're watching a football game and we're clearly seeing that the, the line judges who, or whoever else is giving favoritism to one team or another. Or we're looking at, 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 at a... Or we're telling fishing stories. And I think we, I talked about this a few weeks ago. We, oh, I caught a fish so big. And that's, that's one thing. You know, it was the biggest fish I ever caught. You know, however big it might be. But it's very different from saying, oh, yeah, it was the biggest fish anybody caught on that boat ever. It was the hugest thing. And we like exaggeration. But living by a clear standard would be something that said, well, yeah, there was a 15-inch fish that weighed about three pounds. It was, it was a big fish. Very clear, different standards. The whole point I'm trying to make is that when we live justly, we're living by a standard that is sure and fixed and straight. It's not living a life in view of other people's perspectives, but living a life with God's standard in mind. But Solomon recommends, suggests that there's a third reason, and that is equity, a life lived with equity. This involves how we act toward others, not giving one person a favorable, favorable position over another. Recently, there was a lot of controversy that came up because the Supreme Court made a decision on affirmative action. And affirmative action, when it was passed years ago, was intended to correct wrongs and injustices that, were in, that are in our history. And, and there are some big things going on there. But their argument in this recent case seemed to be that people should be judged on the merits of their character and on their ability, not on their ethnicity. Equity can try, can, can try to right past wrongs. But equity seems to work best when everyone involved, when it views everyone involved based on fixed abilities and standards. It seems to work best when it views everyone as created in the image of God and worthy to have a place at the table. But these opening verses also help us to understand that we should pursue wisdom for prudence. And Solomon seems to speak what is practical and livable. He speaks directly about the simple when it comes to prudence. And he, it seems like these proverbs are designed to help the simple know exactly what to do in a given situation. Prudence provides the simple with substance that helps them leave their naivete behind. Proverbs 14, 15 says, The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. And Proverbs 19, 25 says, Strike a scoffer, and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding, and he will gain 
knowledge. The whole point is that we should pursue wisdom so that we and others can flourish in life. As Ray Ortland notes, God has two basic goals for us in the book of Proverbs. One is a deep character and the other is straight thinking. Pure, right, correct thinking. And since all of us are different, I, I would guess that all of Solomon's children were different. We need to hear truth and instruction in different ways. And these opening verses help us to ask and answer the question, who should pursue wisdom? Everyone. Why should we pursue it? For life. But thirdly, how do the Proverbs communicate wisdom? Because Proverbs does this in a variety of ways. And we look at it, we think, oh, it's poetic lines. You look at it in your Bible and think, oh, this is a little weird. But in verse 6, it says that, that It gives us four things that the Proverbs do, the book of Proverbs does. In in, in verse 6, it says, To discern the meaning of a proverb and a parable, the sayings of the wise and their riddles. The meaning of a proverb, a parable, sayings of the wise, and riddles. And And Atkinson notes that it seems like the entire book is categorized in those four different ways. So what's the difference among all these things? A proverb is essentially a short Pithy statement or observation, truths that are designed to be memorable. These are two-line statements, and they make up most of the book. If you read through it, you'll read one line, and the second line is either contrasting that to give a different perspective, or it's extending that, or it's repeating the same thing. And then you have parables or short stories or illustrations that communicate this truth. There's not many of these, but if we were to look in Proverbs 9, you see these really cool little parallel parables where the way of wisdom is is described and then also the way of folly, the way of foolishness is described. And in in chapter 7, you see this beautiful parable warning against adultery, warning against warning us to run away from those things. But in addition to Proverbs and parables, there are sayings. And these seem to be extended statements that that help the reader or the listener understand the value of a life lived as a result of wise counsel. Proverbs 24, 13 to 14 says, My son, eat honey, for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. Know that wisdom is such to your soul, if you find it. There will be a future, and your hope will not be cut off. But the fourth category of of the way that wisdom is communicated in the book of Proverbs is riddles. And these are statements that seem to evoke extended meditation, seem to call us to sit down and really think about it. For instance, Proverbs 30, verses 18 and 19 says, Three things are too wonderful for me. Four things I do not understand. The way of an eagle in the sky the way of a serpent on a rock, the way of the ship on the high seas, the way of a man with a virgin. And just as we may give and receive love differently, so it is with wisdom. We need to hear and learn wisdom's lessons differently. And so Proverbs does that. It gives us a few different ways that we can grasp the lessons we need to learn. But ultimately, this brings us to the final question that these opening verses ask and answer, and that is this. What is the source of wisdom? 
What is the source of wisdom? And ultimately, the source of wisdom is God. Look at verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. David Atkinson notes in his commentary that the beginning of wisdom is not a launching point. It's not a place to grow beyond, but rather a place in which we get established. It's the foundation upon which we build our lives. Fearing or revering God carries with it this sense of awe and wonder, this sense of reverent submission. The ESV Study Bible notes that the quest for wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. Wisdom that is derived from God finds its origin in the author, the creator, the initiator of all things. And it does not waver based on changing whims in our society, but is rooted deeply in the author's original intent. So who should pursue wisdom? Everyone. Why should we pursue it? So that we can live. How does Proverbs communicate it? It communicates it in four different ways, but ultimately what is the source of wisdom? And that is God. And let me just, um, in closing, let me just kind of catch us up to, to why I think this is so important. Because God's intention for the world was that we would live in holy communion with him. Not, not, not so much the communion that we would take at this table, but that connection, that relationship with God. God, in, God wanted us to be in communion with him. God's intention was a world of peace, a world of prosperity, a world of, of flourishing and perfection. And yet as we read in the book of Genesis, we see that humanity corrupted God's good intention. God's good design. And because of that, our entire world is stained with sin's corruption. Romans 3.23 says everyone has sinned. And that stain affects every decision, every outcome, every intention. And it's as though our corruption takes the firm standard that God intended and places it on waves of the ocean where there is no fixed point. And so the wisdom of the world is so marred by sin's corruption that it can't help but be inconsistent and unstable. And we could just look at various news articles, various issues that are coming up in our society, and we could see that doesn't make sense from a biblical perspective, which is why we as God's people who have been transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ need to continually come back to, read, meditate on, memorize, and live out the word of God, the wisdom of God. In the, in the youth class this morning, we were talking about how we make an impact against evil in the world. And in many ways, it happens by us living faithfully, bearing the light of Christ everywhere we get to be. Because of humanity's corruption, God stepped in and, and and corrected our problems with the cross. And God eternally overcomes our sin and gradually helps us return to lives that are marked by wisdom, that are marked by his word. Which one day when Christ comes back, oh, what a glorious day that be, that will be. There will be a day of judgment to adjudicate for the sinful actions and intentions. But those who are marked by the blood of Jesus, who have willfully submitted their lives to his sacrifice, will 
be justified because Jesus meets our standard. He is our righteousness. And for those of us who don't, we'll have to stand. But for those of us who haven't put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we'll have to stand on our own. And God will say, weigh our good deeds. And I assure you, our good deeds will not outweigh our bad. And so if you've not yet trusted in Christ, I want to encourage you, turn and trust in him. But beloved, let's continually submit to his ways and pursue the wisdom that comes from God. Let's not be swayed by the shifting whims of society and culture. I began by talking about the argument about being on the right side of history. And I would argue that, that since history is ultimately his story, it is God's story, that in order to be on the right side of it, we have to be on his side of it. He has revealed his side in his word. So let's humble ourselves before his word and his way and his will in order to flourish and lead others to flourish in ways that the creator intended. Let us pursue wisdom.